We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 14 this morning. We're going to be talking about uh, what are called disputable matters. Areas where Christians may disagree, and that's okay. And how do we do that and still have unity and grace in the body of Christ? So listen to this uh, passage of Scripture as I read it for us, and then we'll walk into the text. Romans 14, 1-12 Accept him whose faith is weak, without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. And he who regards one day as special does so to the Lord, and he who eats meat eats to the Lord. For he gives thanks to God, and he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, and every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Let's pray. Father, as we think about this passage of Scripture and some issues that come up from time to time in the church or things that we have dealt with in our past, Lord, help us to see them through your eyes, not through traditions or maybe past perspectives on things that we have had, but to look at these things anew and to think clearly from the Scripture. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that we know from Scripture is that God values unity among His people. He cares about that. He wants His people to be united. We see that in the Old Testament, for example, where in Psalm 133, verse 1, the Scripture says how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. God delights in that. And that is a delightful thing to His people, to be a part of a fellowship or a body that is united and working together and loves and cares for one another. We also see in the New Testament how that's exactly what Jesus prayed for. In His high priestly prayer before He went to the cross, He prayed that we would be one just as the Father and the Son are one. And He said this, He said, I and them and you and me, May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. You know, he was saying that our unity, our working together for the sake of the gospel would be a powerful witness to the world of what God can do, that he can take people from different backgrounds and nationalities and ethnic groups and languages even or people groups and bring them together as one 
That's a remarkable thing. So it shouldn't surprise us again that the Scripture exhorts us to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That we should work at loving one another. We should work at understanding each other and giving grace and avoiding legalism and all of those things that can get in the way of unity. But granted, unity is not easy to maintain when you have a diverse group of people coming together. You can think about that in terms of these examples in the Roman church or in the New Testament era when they brought together people from different languages and people groups and some were slaves and some were free and they had all these different cultures mixing together in the church. It wasn't easy to preserve unity. That's why Paul wrote this particular section of his letter to the Romans. But even in a relatively uh, homogeneous culture like ours, in our community, where we have a lot of similarities, unity still takes work. Because we are sinners, and we have different opinions and ideas of how things maybe should be done or not done, or what's right or what's wrong, and all of those things that come together. And that's why it takes grace and understanding and good communication to work together and to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So how does that happen? How can we work together in unity? And how should we handle areas where we may disagree? That's what we're going to be looking at today in Romans chapter 14. Now one of the first things that we notice when we come to a section like this is that the Bible is telling us that there are disputable things over which Christians can disagree. I mean, there are things out there that are going to come up from time to time that we may have a different perspective on, and that's okay. Paul gives us two examples here of things that had come up in the church at Rome that were causing some tension. One concerned food or diet, and the other concerned holy days or Sabbaths and what you should and should not do in regard to them. And the tension in the church came about for this reason, that you had Jewish believers and Gentile believers now coming together to worship in this new church. And the Jewish believers had all of their traditions and customs that they brought with them. They, in this passage, would be considered the weak. Paul is calling them the weak. No no offense intended by that, but he is just referring to one as the weak and one as the strong in terms of their perspective here. And so the Jewish brothers are the weak in this case because they had a hard time giving up all of the dietary restrictions that were a part of Judaism, even though it was no longer required under Christianity. And you can imagine that. I mean, if you have grown up with, uh, you only eat kosher meat, or you have grown up with these kind of traditions where you know you would not eat meat that was sacrificed to idols, and you're a little concerned that in Rome all of the meat has been sacrificed to idols, some of these people had become complete vegetarians. I mean, it, it just affected their conscience. They felt like if they ate meat and they didn't know where it was come from, where it came from, or if it was kosher or not, that was going to violate their heart, their conscience. And so they chose not to do that. But you also had Gentile believers in this church who had no qualms about eating meat. You know, and they'd go down to the local meat market and they'd get a good deal on steak and maybe they were inviting their Jewish brothers and sisters over. You know, we'll throw something on the grill, have a little barbecue here, and isn't that okay? And their 
brothers and sisters were offended by that or they said no thank you and then the Gentile believers might be offended by that and why why can't we do this you know we don't have to follow those rules and regulations anymore and you can see how misunderstandings might come up and what began to happen is that one side looked down on the other side as less spiritual you know don't they get this don't they understand this what we're saying here And they were judging one another in terms of their handling of this particular issue. Now we can be like that, can't we? I mean, we all like to think that we are right and everybody should think as we do and act as we do, you know, in one sense. So, you know, as we grow in Christ, hopefully we become more mature than that and we begin to understand things a little differently. But we do like to think that we are right and my position's the right one and obviously everybody ought to see it this way. But what we see here in the Scripture is that there are disputable matters, again, over which Christians can disagree and both are acceptable to God. It was a remarkable thing. God could love those Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ who had come to faith in Jesus and God could love those Gentile believers. And what he wanted was he wanted them to love one another and accept one another in the body of Christ. By disputable matters, we are not talking about things that are clearly listed in Scripture as sin. We're not talking about things like lying or drunkenness or stealing or murder or adultery. I mean, there are things in the Scripture that are clearly stated this is wrong. This is sin. By disputable matters, we are talking about things that are not clearly addressed in Scripture, and they are not sinful. Now, let me give you some examples of areas where Christians may disagree. You can take, for example, the use of alcohol. Is it okay to drink wine or no wine? And Christians have disagreed on issues like this. And I think that there are good reasons not to use alcohol, But I can't say that it's wrong or sin in every situation because the Scripture doesn't say that. Drunkenness is clearly wrong, and so also we would say driving under the influence of alcohol is wrong or underage drinking is wrong. There are lines that are given in terms of what is right or wrong. But if someone wants to use wine as a toast at a wedding, I don't think that's wrong. Because Jesus himself, even in his first miracle, turned water into wine at a wedding in Cana. And I know for many of us, we may have grown up where those kind of restrictions were in place, very well defined, that these are things you do and these are things that you don't do. But what does the Scripture say about that? Or you can take the area of dancing. Is all dancing wrong or is it just certain types of dancing? And what else goes into that decision? Is it the setting that may be inappropriate? Yes, and sometimes it is. And in other settings, it may be just fine. A few weeks ago, we had clogging in our worship service as a part of one of the songs. And it was just a fun thing that we wanted to do in a celebratory way. David danced before the Lord. And he celebrated God's goodness in that way. And I think that there are times when it is appropriate and it's and times when it may be inappropriate or certain types of dancing may be inappropriate. I was kidding my wife, Gail. She's been watching Dancing with the Stars on TV and maybe some of you have, 
have done that too. And I said, you know, it might be okay for you to watch that, but I don't think it's good for me to watch that because they don't have a lot of clothes on when, <laughs> when some of them are dancing. And there, there are things like that, that other factors that may affect the choices that you make. What about Bible translations? King James Version only? Or is the NIV, the New International Version, or the ESV, uh, the English Standard Version, is that okay? You know, in some churches, the version you use is a litmus test of spirituality. There are some churches that are King James only churches. And you would think that that was the original, that God had given the Bible in King James, because it's that important to them. But that's a translation, too, that was done. It's a good translation that was done at a period in time. But we have other uh, Greek manuscripts that have been discovered since then. And we also have worked to bring our understanding of the Scripture in today's language so people can understand the Word of God as clearly as they can. And that's why there are new translations that are done from time to time to keep current with our understanding of language and use of words. What about music? Hymns only or contemporary music? Is that okay? You know, we talked about this a few years ago and we have some in our church who prefer uh, hymns and would like it if we sang more hymns or maybe even hymns only. And we have those that like contemporary music only. And how do you work that out? And I want to say to those of you that would prefer more hymns or that were in that camp, if you will, that I think one of the most gracious things that you did in our church was to say we would rather be a part of the larger body of Christ in our worship than to have a smaller service that would be hymns only. That you valued the community and the relationship with the larger body of Christ more than, say, having simply your preference in music. And I applaud you for that decision. I think that's an example of what Paul is talking about here. That the choice of music is not a spiritual issue in terms of one is more spiritual than the other. Really, when we have those kind of issues, the greater thing is will we love one another and will we give grace and work together in harmony? Sometimes questions come up about wealth. Does God care about the car you drive? Or does it matter the clothes that you wear. Well, yeah, I think God is concerned about those things to a point. But, you know, if we make it a a measure of spirituality, whether somebody drives a hybrid car because we're supposed to be green now, or whether you drive a regular, you know, gas-burning car, I don't think that's an issue of spirituality at this point. And I think God guides and directs each one of us in terms of how much we can afford to pay on a car and what kind of car we drive. I think the more important issue to God would be that if we do buy a car, that we can afford it and we can make our payments and be a good witness in that way to the Lord. What about homeschool or public school or church school? Are all three an option for the believer? Yes, they are. And we have families in our church that have chosen one of those options. And we have kids that are in our youth group that come from different backgrounds. And I'm sure each family has their reasons for their decision and in a sense feels like this is right or this is the best decision for our kids and that's why we've chosen it. But it's not a measure of spirituality. You know, we can disagree on things like that and we can talk about that and there's a place where iron sharpens iron and we can debate those things. 
But we also need to give grace and understanding that there are reasons why one family may choose one over the other. And when they do that as unto the Lord, that's the most important issue. What about TV or no TV? Some families have chosen to just boot it out. Nothing good on TV. We're just going to get rid of it. And other families have it. And they may govern how or what they watch. Same thing may be true about movies and music where there are different choices being made. And I do think God cares about what we see and listen to. And the lyrics are very important. And what are we watching on TV? Because what we put into our heart and mind affects us. But is it a measure of spirituality whether you have a TV or don't have a TV? I don't think that's the most important issue. And you could say the same thing about you know, political parties. Are you Republican or Democrat or Independent? We could debate that and talk about you know, virtues or issues on all of those things. I think the most important thing is that we do what we feel God is leading us to do and we act out of conviction. Because that's what Paul is talking about in this passage. There are many areas where Christians may disagree about things. And that's okay. When we do it is unto the Lord and our first desire is to please Him. It's interesting how in this passage of Scripture, Paul actually speaks very tenderly to these believers to get them to work together in love. If you took this passage and then you compared it with, say, Galatians chapter 1, where Paul is ready to pronounce anathema, judgment, on those who had come into the church and were stirring things up. Why the difference? Why the strong tone there and the tenderness here? It's because this did not concern the gospel. In the book of Galatians, in that letter, people were distorting the gospel and there were Judaizers insisting that you had to be circumcised to be a believer in Christ. They were adding to what the gospel is and Paul condemned them for that. Here he's talking about lifestyle choices and being able to work together and worship together. And instead he comes and he gives grace and allows people as they grow in Christ to make those decisions. So how should we handle our differences? Well, I've hinted at some of the things already that are here, but number one, he tells us to accept one another without passing judgment. Don't look down on your brother or sister. Don't judge your brother or sister as though they are less spiritual. But instead we are to give grace and avoid legalism. And we are to recognize that these issues are not a reason to break fellowship. For example, if you think about this, you know, in the church in Rome, they could have split right in two at this point. Uh, you could have had, you know, the first church of the vegetarians over here and the second church of the carnivores over here. You know, just kind of, they, they split on those that were meat eaters and non-meat eaters. And that could have been the way that they handled it, but they didn't. And Paul encouraged them to understand this and to work together in love, and they became a united church. And that's, that's what God wants. And I don't think God is pleased when churches continue to split and split and split and split and split and fragment over issues because they can't get along with one another in love. We also need to surrender everything to the Lordship of Christ. And we see that in this passage. Like, for example, in verse 4, he says, Who are you to judge someone else's servant? We are all the Lord's servant. And to his own master he stands or fall, and 
He will, he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. In other words, each one of us is individually accountable to God for the things that we do. And our most important thing is to say, Lord, is this pleasing to you? Can I do this in a way that honors Christ? Can I do this heartily as unto the Lord? Can I do this with all of my strength in a way that gives you honor and puts you first in my life? You see, when we surrender everything to the Lordship of Christ and ask for His direction, we are acknowledging that He is the one who gives us that wisdom and guidance. We are to remember who we serve, that ultimately we serve Him. And we are to remember that He is the Lord of the church and He is the Lord of your brother and sister. And we are all a work in process and God is not finished with us yet. And so there may be things that a brother or sister is doing that might not be the wisest, but we need to be patient and give grace and help each other grow toward maturity in Christ. We are to recognize that we belong to Him. Take, for example, the issue of holy days and the Sabbath. In the church there, we see in verses 5 to 8 that there were some who considered one day more sacred than another. They had grown up with Jewish tradition. You worship on the Sabbath, the seventh day. Another man considers every day alike. You know, every day belongs to God. Why do we make such a big deal about one day? Doesn't and every day belong to the Lord? Or in the Jewish tradition, there were certain holy days and feasts and they wanted to continue to celebrate some of those and the Gentiles didn't have that tradition and so they didn't think that was important. And what's interesting here is what Paul says. He says that each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. He who abstains does so to the Lord. He gives thanks to God. When they both are doing this with the right heart, right attitude, God, you are Lord of all. I want to honor you. I want to give you praise. Both were acceptable to him. That's a remarkable thing. And he tells us that none of us lives to ourself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. It's interesting, isn't it, to look at it from that perspective of what Paul was saying. So how does that apply to us? I mean, questions still come up about the Sabbath day and the Lord's day. And what of those guidelines for the Sabbath day still apply to us, if any? What should a Christian do or not do on the Lord's day? And is it okay on a Sunday to mow your lawn or to play ball or to go to the store for an errand? Yeah, I mean, I think there are times that there are questions about that. I, I grew up where that was, you know, real strict. You don't work on Sunday. I remember one time when I, as an adult, came back from vacation and my lawn looked terrible and it needed to be mowed and I kind of snuck out there on a Sunday evening and mowed it and I felt guilty about that. I mean, because of my tradition. You know, in the background, and maybe some of you are like that too, where you go, oh, that would be hard. What about the whole issue of Saturday services? You know, there are churches that have offered Saturday services as an option. Have they thought that through in terms of the theology of that? Is that okay? Is that a good thing, a bad thing, or neutral? You know, and, and so those kind of questions come up. 
And I think the Scripture would say that there is freedom to worship on any day. But you know what we do need? We need a Sabbath. We need a day for worship and rest and recreation. And we need community. That we need to be connected to the church, to the body of Christ. That we can't get away from those things. That we need a day of rest. We need a day of worship to come before the Lord. And it's right and good to do that. We have some who are, uh, say, Seventh-day Adventists who think that that still should be on Saturday. Most Christians move to the Lord's Day, to Sunday, the day of the resurrection, as the day that they met for that worship and rest. And I think as a matter of convenience, it is good to have one day when we can all meet together. I mean, I think that's why Sunday as a matter of convenience and choice because of it being the Lord's Day was the day that Christians adopted and said, on this day we are going to meet together and worship. Could it be a Saturday evening? Yes. Could it be a Tuesday night? Yeah, it could be. But I think that there is something good and healthy about all of us meeting together at a certain time and place for worship because we need that. We need one another in the body of Christ. And then thirdly, we need to remember that ultimately God is our judge. It's not men. It's not one another. It is God who judges. And we see that in verses 9 and following. He tells us, For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that He might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. And again in verse 12, Each one of us will give an account of himself to God. You know, he's reminding us here of who we are ultimately accountable to. It is the Lord. And so here is this tendency that we have to check. And we have to keep in mind our tendency to want to judge one another. There was an interesting story I ran across about Charles Spurgeon. You know, I've used Spurgeon as an example before. This man who was called the Prince of Preachers. Just a great orator. God used him mightily. Uh, His sermons that were written and published, I mean, of Spurgeon, there wasn't a week that went by that someone did not come to know Christ through either his public speaking and preaching or through his sermons that were read and used literally around the world. It was awesome. Well, Spurgeon had a good friend, Joseph Parker, who was also a pastor, and they were both great gifted preachers. And sometimes they did a pulpit exchange. But one day Spurgeon found out that Parker had gone to the theater and Spurgeon accused Parker of being unspiritual because he had attended the theater. Now, interestingly enough, Spurgeon smoked cigars. And there were believers who thought that Spurgeon was unspiritual because he smoked cigars. And so they asked him about his habit and he said that he did not smoke to excess. And when they asked him what he meant by excess, he kind of waggishly said, no more than two cigars at a time. (laughs) Well, was he right? Or was Parker right? Or were both wrong? Or, you know, it's one of those areas where they just disagree. And perhaps it would have been better to realize that two could disagree and both could be in the will of God. 
and that both would be accountable to God for the choices that they made. That's the sober realization about this. That all of us are going to stand before God one day and we will give an account. What kinds of things are we going to be held accountable for? Well, you can find all of these in Scripture. Let me just give you some examples. That we will be accountable for our words before God. The Bible tells us in Matthew 12, 36, 37 that I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. I can remember in my heart as a fourth grader reading that passage of Scripture. And I remember being in a school, you know, and riding school on school buses and all of that where I heard profanity. And as a young kid, I thought that's kind of, okay, well, maybe that's the way you're supposed to be cool or fit in is to use profanity. And I remember as a kid saying words that I shouldn't have said. And then when I came to know Christ at age 10, I started to read through the New Testament for the first time on my own. And I read those words of Scripture. And it cut like a knife to my heart. And I I said, I'm not going to do this. And from that day on, it was a change in my heart. Because one day, I mean, that's a sobering thing. Every careless word, every word we have spoken, we will be accountable for before God. Wow. Now, if God cares about what we say, doesn't it make sense that He would also care about then what we read or what we listen to or the lyrics of songs or what we think about? Yeah, I think He does. Well, that kind of changes some things, doesn't it? In terms of what may be right or wrong for us to do and say. We are also accountable to God for our actions. 2 Corinthians 5.10 We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the bema seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Every deed, every action is going to be open to review in that final day. So when we think about life from that way and we think about our actions and conduct, you know, that sort of takes care of a lot of those kind of unanswered questions that say, you know what, I want to make sure that what I do and what I say is honoring to the Lord. Because one day I'll have to give an account for those things. You could go on, if we had time, we could unpack each of these. We could do a message on each one. But we are also accountable for our talents, the Scripture said. We are accountable for our money. And we are accountable to God for our time. There will be a review in that final day. I remember one of my uh, professors at seminary was saying all sermons are reviewable on the final day. That's a sobering thing. To think about the things that I say on a Sunday morning will be reviewable before the Lord. And so I take what I do very seriously. I want to be very careful to not say more than the Scripture says and not say less than what the Scripture says. But to try to be as careful and accurate as I can in handling the Word of God. Because we are accountable for all of those things. The real check on our thoughts and our behavior is not what do people think. It's what does the Lord think. Because it's His verdict that matters most. And so we make it our aim to please Him in everything that we do. 
And we do that best by loving God and loving His people. We do that best by putting Him first in our heart and giving grace to our brothers and sisters in Christ and loving and accepting them and not judging and not condemning. You know, it may be a surprise to some that on the Day of Judgment, the thing that God is more concerned about is the critical, judgmental spirits of some than He is about whether a person did this or that. Because critical, judgmental spirits can be so divisive and hurtful in the body of Christ that they can push people away from the Lord too. So let me ask you to examine your heart this morning. Have you ever been critical or judgmental of a brother or sister over a disputable matter? Is there someone you have offended by your words or actions and you need to ask their forgiveness? Or are there areas of your life that you have not yet surrendered to the Lordship of Christ? And maybe there is a behavior, an action, or a choice that you have made that needs to change and be brought under His Lordship. Let's pray. Father, as we think about these things, I do pray that what I have said today is true to Your Word. And if it is not, that You would show others otherwise. But Father, I pray that all of us would live with You first in our heart. And weighing carefully the things that we do and say that it might be pleasing to You, Help us to enjoy the freedom that You have given to us in Christ and yet not turn that freedom into a license for sin. Help us to think about these things and to maintain the unity of the Spirit that we have enjoyed in the body of Christ. We ask that in Your name. Amen.